Makoto. Um, you know, when I was um, preparing to speak this week, I got my old faithful study Bible out, and it made me realize I spent way too much time on my phone um, looking for scripture. But this Bible I've had since I was a teenager, and it is full of treasure. Uh, not just for the, the Bibleness of it being a Bible, because, of course. Oh, and now I'm tra- struggling to find my um, page. But it is full of uh, old sermon notes. Bible study references, some newsletters. One of them was is from 2012, so now I can't throw it out. <laughs> but, you know, like, it's just full of it. And also there's a slide with a picture because they're tiny. There's all of these um, little cards like this that are so precious. You see, I was one of the lucky few, that one of the last, really, that got to be a teenager without a cell phone. I got my first one in seventh form, so year 13, which also meant that I got to go to university without social media, but that's another story. So instead of forwarding texts and reels and memes, and am I old enough that I've forgotten the main way you're doing it these days? In in any event, (laughs) what my friends and I would do, because um, I came to faith as a teenager and youth group was life, was we would buy these little cards from the Christian bookshop for five or ten cents each and write, messages to each other. That top one is from my friend Andrea, and she says, thanks for your awesome friendship to me. You're a great Christian. It's amazing watching your faith grow. Just delightfulness. Um, And always, always, they had a little Bible verse at the end. If you want to know how old I am, that bottom one from my friend Vicky is written entirely in capital letters and uses the word primo. Thank you for being a primo friend. (laughs) Um, And part of why I love listening to Mark and Andrew talk about Activate is it just sings to my heart that old story of finding faith. And it was just um, such a sunshine period in my life. But actually, the part of my story I felt God nudging and shoving me towards telling you wasn't about that sunshine time, but rather the bit that came next when things got hard and my faith had to grow up. So um, fast forward a few years into my early 20s and a whole lot of stuff started happening all at once. Um, my little brother got a life, had received a life-changing head injury. Uh, that's his story, but of course that always impacts you when you love them, Right. Um, My grandmother, who I loved with my whole heart, passed away. And she was the first person I had ever lost like that. And she was 73, but it felt far too young. And we had a whole week with her at her bedside. And it was a sacred week. You know, one of those, I've never actually experienced anything like it, where that divide between heaven and earth felt paper thin. And we had a whole week like that. And it still felt far too fast. And then um, not long after that, I was a youth intern at my church at that time. And I was helping um, prepare a group of us to go to Miami on a mission trip. I was in charge of a lot of the fundraising. Can I just do a little side note? I understand that mission trip is a really loaded term. Please know that we knew that we were going for ourselves to learn to experience some of what was going on in the world and to try and understand God's heart for that situation. 
But by way of reciprocity, we were painting an orphanage while we were there. So it was a pretty intense week. Um, we weren't able to stay in the town that the orphanage was in, so there was lots of travel and things. To the extent that when I came home, I slept for 23 hours straight. Now I dream of a life that's that unencumbered. I could sleep for 23 hours and nobody woke me up. But it was a pretty intense, intense week. And the last day or two, we got some time to do visitor things. We, went to, we were taken by our host to some amazing places. And on, um, um, we got to experience uh, the Water Festival, which also, second side note, please know that I'm speaking out of a place of cultural ignorance. I don't know a lot of the nuance that was going on there. But how we experienced it as, as foreigners in that place was it like a super fun street party slash water fight. It was really fun at the, at the beginning. So we kind of, but as we kind of moved up, moved on, the crowds got denser and denser. And about two hours in, we came around the corner and there was just a mass of people, a, a throng where we were getting um, pulled apart and separated. And there were also um, sort of grandstand seating around and this really loud, almost heavy metal music. And in that space, to call a spade a spade, I was sexually assaulted. Now, there's a, there's a spectrum to this stuff, right? And mine was very much on the lower end. But it was very traumatic. And when I came home, part of why it was traumatic is... Um, you know, in this delicious teenage years that I told you about where we collected Bible verses and promises, and also some of them I've realised now don't come actually from the Bible, but like Christian culture quotes that we pass around as well. But I didn't understand them in their deeper context. So a classic example would be, you know, that Jeremiah verse that we all know, for I know the plans I have to prosper you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I've said that wrong because there's not harm you somewhere in that. That's awkward. I practiced that this week because I know that verse backwards, sideways, and I was like, you're going to stand up there and get it wrong, and here we are. <laughs> but what I didn't know when we were writing those on our little cards to each other and dipping in and out of the Bible was that that verse and that promise is for a people that were in exile and had been for some years, that it was a really tumultuous period and many of them were in hardship and suffering. And one of the things, the Christian culture bits, I guess, um, that I, be I believed unquestioningly, was that phrase you sometimes hear, you know, there's nowhere safer than in the centre of God's will. There's nowhere, have you heard that one? Some of you might have. And I was on a mission trip and I got hurt. And where was God in that? And if you imagine like the Jenga game, you know, where you're pulling out blocks, that was the last block really to make it come crashing down. Um, and I remember crying <laughs> out to God and just being like, where were you when I got hurt? Where were you? Um, and clear as day, I got a picture of my friend Rob in the crowd who turned around, reached out his hand for me and grabbed me. Sorry, I just saw Pete's face. 
grabbed me. And then I got out of that crowd by holding on to the back of his backpack, literally, as hard as I could so that we didn't get separated out. And the relief that came with that image was this just abiding sense of God saying, when my question was, where were you? And his answer was, I was in Rob. I was with you in that crowd. And so that was kind of the start of the rebuilding the Jenga, the Jenga tower, if you will. And I have learned in the times that have come after that to look for God when it's hard. And so, um, you know, not long after that, I met Pete, and then we had our first child, Isabel. And when she was eight months old, she caught her first cold. And that's when we learned that a virus would never just be a virus for her. Now, we call her a severe asthmatic now, but um, when she's a baby, they don't call it that. It's bronchiolitis, and then it's viral-induced wheeze, and then it's asthma. I know now from my cousin, we've got bad genes, whose baby is right in that space at the moment, that they are calling it asthma much younger now. But I say asthma, and I imagine you picture inhalers, maybe a little oxygen mask. Bronchiolitis for Isabel looked like ambulance rides in the middle of the night. It looked like... Um, feeding tubes, uh, it looked like CPAP, so high pressure oxygen. Um, uh, yeah, it, 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 it was some hard times. And um, every cold, like clockwork, day two of getting a virus, she was in hospital, and then it was four days, and then she was out. Um, and it happened over and over again. She had 14 hospitalizations between eight months and two and a half years. But when I got look for God's mercy in that space, I find it. So on her very first hospital admission, um, my friend Grace was um, a nurse on the pediatric ward. Um, and she saw Isabel's name on the paperwork coming up and recognized it. And so she waited at the end of her shift. And she um, explained a little bit about what was going to happen, though I now know vaguely because she knew what was coming. <laughs> and she brought me a coffee and she brought me a sandwich. Because like I say, she knew that I was about to help, have to watch my baby be held down while they put a feeding tube down. And she knew that she was going to get a lot sicker before she got better. And she knew that they don't feed parents on the paediatric ward, hence the sandwich, because I was going to miss dinner. Um, another time, you know, when, you, um, when your baby's being fed like that, you're expressing milk and stress, reduce my milk supply. You can imagine the drama. And my friend Joe baked lactation cookies and couriered them to me on the ward. And she fed me that really practical need, but she also knew me well. Because she knows that when I'm in stress and distress, I like to organise, thank you very much, and I like to control. And I, and I couldn't control the fact that my baby couldn't breathe. Um, I think that was one of the times when in the middle of the night the ICU team came down to assess her. Um, but she knew I could feel good about eating lactation cookies, which might be solving a problem. And she also knows me well enough to know that I'm an emotional eater. They were delicious. Thank you. I ate the whole bunch. <laughs> um, I have another vivid, 
vivid memory of my dad arriving on the ward. I can't tell you which admission it was. I can't tell you what had happened the night before, except I know it was bad. Because he walked into my room with a coffee in his hand. That's the ministry of coffee, everybody. And I got to, and basically I sobbed in his arms. Because he was my dad. I mean, he was there, I could pick it, put it down. And he picked it up for that time, yeah? What's also true of that season is that Isabel got so much prayer. Some of the guys who were praying for us in that time are in this room. But she had so much prayer. I was trying to help organise some admin um, for a missions conference at the time. So she had faithful saints from around the world praying for her. Uh, they arrived for the conference and anointed her with oil and prayed some more. And she still kept getting sick. So our story as I stand today is she's 12 and a half and she doesn't go to hospital for the vast, vast, vast majority. We had a hiccup about a year and a half ago, which makes me want to put a caveat in. But mostly, no, she doesn't go to hospital with asthma anymore. It's all managed at home. We've come out that other side but when I think about my story, I um, well, I've, I've been reading a bit of of, of, of things from from Nightbird. Have, have, are any of you familiar with that? She's a songwriter and a and she writes amazing blogs. Jane is her actual name, um, and she talks about um, oh yeah, this is the extract I'm coming to. She talks about um, the Israelites in the desert and how they wandered for so long before they were delivered. And the promised land, when we hear this story, is often what we think about, right? That originally, originally, eventually, the Israelites were delivered. Um, but Jane, who, who later did um, pass away from cancer, writes this as part of her blog in terms of the journey and the intimacy of God in that desert place. She says, I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander, answering prayers they didn't pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out, fire lit their paths each night. Every morning he sent them mercy bread from heaven. I look hard for the answers that I didn't pray. I look for the mercy bread that he promised to bake fresh for me each morning. The Israelites called it manna, which means what is it? That's the same question I'm asking again. That's, and again, there's mercy here somewhere, but what is it? What is it? What is it? And I just identify with that space because Isabel, we were praying again and again and again for healing that didn't come. But I can look back at that time and see God's mercy woven through every admission and his presence there with me. And I feel like, um, I feel like that for some of you, you've been disappointed by God because you've prayed those prayers and haven't had the answer that you were expecting or that you're really, really hurting. And you're crying out to God, where are you in this? And um, shortly we're going to have um, the worship team back up and there's a space for prayer. And I really think, feel like last week Tim 
you know, shared that there's um, prophecies that are that are coming, and I have this this sense that God is just not crying out to you, actually, just gently whispering, "I am here with you in this. Let me show you how." That that gentle, tender whisper, and if that is you, we would love to pray with you. And I, think, and I think, too, for the rest of us, there's a call to action. Because in every time when I think back about where God's mercy is, where that mercy bread came from, it was always, always, always in the hands of people who loved me. And I think there's a challenge and an invitation to be those people for each other and in the people around us. And, you, and it's, a little bit, it's a little bit harder than it sounds at face value because you need to know the people around them for it to be that real love-drenched mercy bread. You know that saying, help is only helpful when it's helpful. If you'd shown up to me on the ward or sent me lots of messages, that wouldn't have helped me because I was in manage mode and I would I remember talking to my best friend on the phone. She's like, how are you? And I quoted oxygen statistics at her and she's like, oh, I know how you are. <laughs> her turning up at the hospital wouldn't have helped me. But lactation cookies did. Yeah. Um, Rob knew I was in trouble because he was close enough to me to see my face in that crowd. And he knew me well enough to know what that face meant. My dad is just my dad. Beautiful man. We need to show up for each other because that's how every experience changes. Um, if I could take you to, to kind of come to a wrap-up because I wanted to speak quickly so we'd have time for prayer. Um, the verse in, you know, my primo card that I showed you at the beginning that my friend Vicky left me with was this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We change the world when we love it. And we love the world by bringing mercy bread to those who God has put around us. Um, so I think the worship team's going to come up. And just while they do, I'm going to read this karakia. It goes, E te atua o te aroha o te pai, i maringi mai nga painga katoa i a koe ki te hunga i fiua e ngā whakawai o te ao. Pai heretia mai te hunga ngākau ka hakore. Ah, whakapua ki nga te reo o tō rangatiratanga ki nga mau herehere. Gracious and loving God, you bring good tidings to the afflicted. Bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives. May nga ki marama mai mātou, te mōhio pū i ngā mahi tūturu, te tau afi i te tangata. May we too understand and care for people unconditionally. Mm -hmm.